Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Revelation 21 is where we're today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Revelation 21. I want to share a message with you entitled, The City of Peace. The city of peace. This is what God does as, uh, as we begin to enter into His, His presence, when we, when we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the sun of His love, into His light, as we put our faith in Jesus, we begin to experience this city. We begin to walk in the streets of the city. We begin to build our lives in this city of peace. But here in Revelation 21, we have this dramatic revelation of heaven. The renewal of all things. The peace of God established on the earth. This is our ultimate hope. This is a hope that we all have as believers, as Christians. Those that have put their faith in Jesus, we know that, that our home is not in this temporal place, but in heaven itself. So Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is a new city where God makes all things new. This is a place of renewal. This is the work of God and his presence in our lives. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, we just thank you, God that you have renewed us, that you have begun this good work in us, and that it's given us hope for the future, that it's given us faith for the future. We thank you, God, that you will be faithful to complete the good work that you've begun. Lord, that you'll bring us to the completed salvation in a time to come, but it's a salvation we can live in every day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of the word, the strength that it gives us, the hope that it gives us, the ability that it gives us, Lord, to focus our faith on you and your faithfulness. And we give you all the glory for that today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, obviously, our family has been in the midst of this crisis this week, praying for my dad in and out of the hospital. Um, and, but I know that that is a story that in one way or another is common to all of us. We've all dealt with pain. We've all dealt with sickness. We've all dealt with the frailty of life and the, and the crises of life and the hardship of life. We've all felt the effects of, of living in this world. And it's actually for a lot of people so overwhelming that it becomes one of their biggest arguments against the existence of a good and loving God. Because people say, if God is a good God and if God is a loving God, then how can he allow this? How can he allow the crime and the hardship and the difficulty? How can he allow so much injustice that we see and that we feel in the world, the pain that we experience? How does a good, loving God allow these things? 
But if we go back to the Garden of Eden in the beginning, how God created the earth, how He intended it for it to be, we see that those things were not present in the Garden, that there wasn't pain, that there wasn't strife, that there wasn't struggling, that there wasn't even sin at that time, that there was no battle with temptation and hardship, and there were no broken down relationships. We don't read about relationships being broken. We don't read about the kind of hardships that we find in this world right now. It was a place of peace. Because God was there and He was God to His children, to His creation, and they worshipped Him as God. They had fellowship with Him. They had relationship with Him. They walked with Him in the cool of the afternoon. They were able to enjoy God's presence. And it's only when man began to exert his will against the knowledge of God that sin entered the world. And the result of sin was brokenness. It was death. It was pain. The first thing that happened is that there was a breakdown in the relationship between man and God. And the next thing that we see with Cain and Abel is that there is a breakdown of relationship between man and man. And this is how our world came to be subject to this kind of futility, subject to this kind of hardships, subject to this kind of of, of battle that we're in. And you have to agree that if God is a loving, good God, and you look at our world, you will agree with me that it doesn't reflect the nature of a loving and a good God, which confirms the fact that we are in a battle. That while we live in this world, evil rages. That e evil rages not only in the political system, not only in the state, not only in the brokenness that, of, of, of community that happens out there in relationships, but in our own hearts. We experience that brokenness on an individual level. We experience the brokenness of God. We feel the burden. We know that we are at war. This is part of the human condition. It's part of living in this world. All things tend towards chaos. All things tend to break down if left to themselves. And so humanity has for thousands of years tried to come up with theories and philosophies and, and all kinds of things that, that attempt to fix humanity. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I think we as a generation think we are the smartest generation that has ever lived, but by a long shot, that's not true. We might be one of the dumbest, honestly, because we take philosophies and we take uh, psychologies and we take theories that were written by, by men and women far smarter than all of us, and we think, oh no, you know, the problem was that if we just take this quote about being kind to each other and, and being nice and, and, and loving animals and being vegan and whatever else, and we just put it on a quote on Instagram and we put it on Instagram, you, you know, then the world will just fix the whole world. That's all we needed. The problem with the ancient Greeks was they didn't have Instagram, so they couldn't post quotes, so we couldn't fix the world. But fortunately for us, our quotes on Instagram can change the whole world. It's just so idiotic that we think that we can just fix ourselves with quotes and, and goodwill and good intentions. It just doesn't work that way. For thousands of years, very, very, very intelligent, deep uh, scholars and, and, and schools of thought have developed ideas to try and save our world, and not one has been successful because we cannot save ourselves from what we've been enslaved to in our hearts, which is the effect and the power of sin. We cannot save ourselves. We have always needed a savior. 
In fact, this became a law of, of science. The second law of thermodynamics says that all closed systems tend towards disorder. They tend towards disorder. Have you ever bought a new car? You know that new car smell when you get into the car and you can smell the leather and everything just looks perfect and you think to yourself, I'm going to look after this car. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to drive in it. I'm going to make sure if there's like a speck of dust, you get the cloth out. You've got spare cloths in the cubby hole. You clean everything. You're like, this is my car. I'm going to keep it new. A few years later, you know, while you're cleaning it out, you find an old protein shake that's been in there for like six months, which is also the last time you went to gym. And it's like you didn't even know it was in there because it's just tended towards chaos. It just, it gets dirty. It gets old. It gets messed up. Have you ever got new sunglasses or new glasses? And you keep it so nicely in the case. And you're like, I will always put these glasses in this case with the little cloth, right? And it never stays that way. A while later, you just take your glasses off and you just chuck them in the back of the car or, or whatever you do. We, you know, everything in this world gets old, even our own bodies. They get old. They don't function the way. We're not as flexible. You have to work hard at keeping a body fit. And even then, the effects of gravity on our, on our lives, on our bodies, on our physical health is real. And so everything tends towards this breaking down, tends towards chaos, and we feel the burden of it, and not only us, but all of creation does. All of creation longs for renewal, longs for new life, longs to be renewed, to be refreshed. Romans 8.22 actually says this, it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, longing to give birth to this new era, experiencing the pain. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. We groan as we wait eagerly for the adoption of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is that moment that Paul writes about where in 2 Thessalonians where he says, in the twinkling of an eye, or 2 Corinthians, where he says, we will be transformed. We will, we will go from being, being mortal bodies that are frail and mortality will be swallowed up by life in the atomos, which is like an atom of time. It's quicker than the blinking of an eye. It's, it's in, a, in less than a millisecond we will be transformed. And we will put on what is immortal. And we will have that eternal life. We await these bodies. For in this hope we have been saved. When you stepped into Jesus, we had a hope not only for this life, but for the life to come. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We know that there is a world that comes after this world. All of earth longs for renewal. And there is a renewal that has been promised. This is a promise of Scripture that though we suffer pain right now, that though we go through hardship, that though we feel frail, that though we, our bodies uh, uh, break and bend under the weight of life, there is a renewal at hand. 2 Peter 3.11 says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, talking about how the elements and the heavens and the earth will melt away, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. New heavens and a new earth is, our, is the promise that we have from God. 
And according to this promise and what we see in Revelation 21, the first heaven and the first earth in which we live now will be done away with as God renews all things and gives us a new heaven and a new earth. And then we see this heavenly city, Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is not just a city in the Middle East, like this tiny city that, you know, where all these significant things took place. Jerusalem is a symbol for heaven. The temple is a symbol for God's presence. And this new Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem, Jerusalem means the city of peace, a place of peace. And ultimately, when God established Israel as a nation and gave them Jerusalem as a city on a hill, he declared that it is a city that, where God is the king, where God is the ruler. Israel was a theocracy. They had no earthly king. They had a heavenly king, and it was God. And so it represents the rulership of God, the kingdom of God, the throne of heaven with man, with people. His presence is there. The temple is there. His rulership is there. And it's only when Israel began to look at the other nations and said, we want a king like other nations. And Samuel said, what are you talking about? You want a king. You've got a king. God is your king. He said, no, 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 we want an earthly king. And Samuel went to God and said, God, they've rejected me. He was crying a tear there. And God said, hey, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They've rejected me as king. That is exactly the problem. That's why our world looks the way it does. Because we rejected God as king. But what happens in this moment is that this new Jerusalem, the new city of peace, the eternal city of peace, God's rulership and presence comes down from the sky. And in that moment, as we read in that scripture, there is no more pain. Because where God is present, there is comfort. There are no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. It's victory because God is king. His presence is our peace. And as he comes to earth, he brings peace. No more death, crying, or pain. This is complete salvation. So we have been completely saved, but we will see the completion of our salvation in that day as we are completely taken into the new Jerusalem. And, and now there's this holy city, the city of peace, where God confirms His rulership and brings joy to us in this final sense. So, God, so, so John goes on to describe the city. And I'm going to just read these few verses because it's so descriptive and so beautiful. Revelation 21, 11 says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, and the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, which is roughly, if I remember correctly, 2,000 kilometers, uh, roughly the, the distance from Cape Town all the way uh, to, let's say, Bait Bridge in, uh, at the border. It's, it's roughly the, the entire length of South Africa, but squared, just for some reference. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall 
144 cubits by human measurement, which if I remember correctly was something like 56 or 65 kilometers high. This is, a, this is not a small city. This is a, uh, you know, John wants to impress on us this, the grandeur of this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. By human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth cornelian, and he goes on from there. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city was pure gold, like, a, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for, of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, not, who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, which we spoke about last week, this Lamb's book of life. If your faith is in Jesus, your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life, and you have access to this city. You have entrance to this city. This city reveals and radiates with all these precious jewels and all this gold and so pure that it's like glass because what it essentially is reflecting now is the glory of God. It's reflecting the nature of God. It's reflecting the goodness of God. That's what it means to give God glory. It means to speak out, to give voice to, to declare the wonders of his person and his character and his nature. And now this city reflects the beauty and the power and the glory of God, the wonders of his person. How many of you would agree with me if you drove down to downtown Joburg today and, and, and drove through the streets of Hillbrow that I'm, I'm willing to, to risk it to say that it wouldn't reflect the glory of God. It reflects more than anything the brokenness of man and, and of poverty and of hardship in the inner city here in the city of Joburg. And so our city doesn't reflect the glory of God, but this city will. And it reflects the, the, just the, the majesty of who God is. It has these, this radiance like rare jewels and clear jasper. That, that jasper is like a red type of stone, like a deep red. And, and when it's clear, it looks, like, it looks like fire caught up in crystal. That's the holiness and the, and, the, and the power and the glory of God. It's His heart. It's His peace. It's His holiness. The city has walls. It has boundaries. It's defined. It has a length. It has, it has a breadth. It, it has height. And I love that because our hope isn't in something ethereal. It's not in something mystical like heaven is a state of mind. Heaven is just the absence of this or the presence of that. You know, all these things that get made up. No, this is a real city. This is a real place. This is a place where God rules. And in that city, as those who have the lamb, our names written in the Lamb's book of life, we find our identity. Our home is in heaven. That's our place. That's our God. And we get to be present with Jesus in that place. It tells us that the gates are made up of the 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 sons of Israel that became the 12 tribes were flawed and ordinary and broken and made many mistakes and often fought with one another. But yet by God's grace, they become 
the, the, the gates through which we entered into salvation and entered into heaven as God brought the Messiah through that nation. And then the foundation of heaven is made up of, of apostles. The 12 apostles have their names inscribed on the foundation of the city, and I find it so amazing because we know how flawed these people were. We know how ordinary they were. They were just fishermen living in the Middle East in an obscure time in history, and yet they become the foundations upon which the city is built, or their names are inscribed on that foundation. And we know, yes, Peter should be there. Yes, James should be there. Yes, John should be there. But did you know that there was a James, another James, son of Alphaeus? Like nobody even knows there was a James, son of Alphaeus, but he's on there. Did you know that there was a Taddeus? You guys think I'm joking and that there is no disciple? He's, he's there. There's a Bartholomew. We know nothing about these guys, but yet their names are inscribed on the foundations of the new Jerusalem. You see, heaven is not some form of Valhalla. You know, the, the Norse religion that believes that mighty warriors that have died during battle will sit at the table of Odin in, in Valhalla carrying the trophies of their bravery. That's not our heaven. Our heaven is made up of imperfect people that were saved by the grace of a good God. This is not a place for, war, for heroes. It's a place for forgiven people, for people that have received the grace of God. And the only hero of this city is the one who gives light to the entire city. It is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb. He is the one that gives light to the nations. He takes the broken, the discarded, the foolish things of this world, and He makes them new and uses them as a foundation for His glory and His peace. God uses the ordinary lives of men and women to fashion the foundation the foundations of heaven, and he gives light to the whole world, not only then, but right now, because the Bible says that our hearts have been enlightened by the gospel. So that same light of the Lamb, the heart of man is the candle of the Lord, that same light has shone into your heart, it's why you know Jesus today. But it doesn't only shine into your heart, it shines out of your heart. It shines through your heart. We, be a, we are in a position where we are able to shine that light before men and women of this world, through, before our city, before our nation, and He is the light of the nations. So how does it help us today? Is this just something that we hope for in the future? Like, okay, life is tough, but one day we'll all be in heaven. Like, is this just a wishful form of, of escapism? so that we know that one day all the pain will end. Far from it. If we go back to that verse I read earlier in Romans 8.23, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await the adoption of sons and the redemption of all things. In other words, the Holy Spirit, if that city is the city of peace because of the rulership and the presence of God, and there's no temple there because God is present there. What are we on this earth but temples of the Holy Spirit? In other words, before we go to heaven, heaven has already come to us. Because the Holy Spirit has taken up rulership in our hearts. He has become the Lord of our lives. And He has brought that peace and that comfort and that power and that light into our lives. And so what the Bible is ultimately saying is that we already have a deposit of heaven 
of the peace of God and the joy of God and the power of God in our hearts right now. And that's why we long to see that salvation complete because we can feel it, because we can taste it, because we know that it's real. Have any of you ever decided that, that uh, you know, you were going to eat healthy, but there was a chocolate in the cupboard, and, and I often say this to my wife, I say, I just want to change the taste in my mouth, so I'm just going to have one block. Anybody ever done that? And then like five minutes later, you've eaten everything. Because once you've tasted, you long for more. And because we've tasted heaven through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we long for this day, we groan for this day when we will be, where death and, and mortality will be swallowed up by life. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's a deposit until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit we have is this guarantee, this deposit of heaven. If heaven is a picture of the rulership of God, a picture of perfect peace and endless joy and the end of struggling and striving, then what the scriptures are ultimately telling us is that because the Holy Spirit resides in us, because God sits on the throne of our hearts, because we experience the effects of his presence and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the joy of our salvation, even though we don't go to heaven the moment that we are saved, heaven comes to us. It takes up residence inside of us. And when we groan, it's not because we want to be saved, but because we want to see the, the fulfillment of our salvation. It's why heaven is so perfectly symmetrical. If you read that, it's perfectly symmetrical. It's wholeness. It's complete. And God will complete our salvation in every sense. I'm going to repeat this verse in Revelation 21 because to me it's just one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, For the former things have passed away, and he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's a beautiful thing. That the old things will pass away and all things will become new. It was my favorite part in the movie The Passion of the Christ when Jesus is carrying the cross and he falls down and his mother runs to help him and he says, Behold, mother. I am making all things new. That's what Jesus does. But it's not just in the end. It's not just in Revelation 21. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you put your faith in Jesus, he is a new creation. Listen to this. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, we don't need to wait until heaven before we receive the newness of life, before we receive the newness of God's peace, the newness of His presence, the newness of His power, the newness of His joy. We receive it right now. If you're in Christ, behold, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. Our battle is to live in the newness rather than to dwell in the things of old. This is a beautiful thing that God does. We receive it today the rulership of God, the comfort of the Spirit, and He begins to wipe away every tear. It overcomes death within us. It shines the light of the gospel. Grace and peace and love and joy and all of these things are found in the deposit of the Holy Spirit within us. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, we experience the hardship of the, the realities of this life, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and gone, oh man, my outer self is wasting away. <laughs> Here's the hope today. Your inner self is being renewed, is being strengthened. You have not got weaker on the inside. You've only gotten stronger because of the presence of Jesus. So we don't need to wait until we get to heaven to discover that heaven is in us, that the power of God is in us. And not only is heaven in you, but this is where it gets really good. Heaven is through you. It's through you. God wants to work through us. As a community, we are a reflection of heaven. The unity and the, and the worship and the love of heaven, the presence of God, is here with us as a church. We are an outpost of heaven. The unity and the diversity and the power of God present to bring peace to this world. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. This is just after it says, Behold, I've made all things new. This is three, verse late, three verses later. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, it's heaven through you. When Jesus sent out his disciples to minister, this is what he told them. In Matthew 10 verse 1, he says, and when he had called his 12 disciples to them, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon who's called Peter, and he goes on and he names the 12 disciples and he says, and as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. You see, we take the kingdom of heaven and we bring it near to the people of Johannesburg. We bring it near to the people of Four Ways. We bring it near to the people of South Africa. How? By showing the rulership of God. What happens when God's rulership is present? The demons flee. Sickness is healed. The dead are raised. People come to life. That's why we are a powerful people. Because we operate by the power of heaven. Heal the sick, he tells them. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you've received. Freely give. We received heaven. We extend heaven to the people of this world. And then we tell them, do you know what you're experiencing right now? You know what you're feeling right now? You're experiencing the rulership of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This is what we look forward to in the eternal sense. We receive the rulership of Jesus through personal salvation. There's no other foundation. There's nothing else. The, the, the disciples, that message we receive through the apostles, the gospel, that is what heaven is founded on. We reflect the rulership of Jesus through the community of believers. The church is the city on the hill that gives light to the nations. And we hasten the return of Jesus by bringing the kingdom of God and the light of salvation to the world. This is why we bring healing and comfort and deliverance. Because through us, heaven invades earth. So yes, in the end, at Revelation 21, when we get to that time in history, the kingdom of heaven, the city of God, will descend and will come to this new heaven and a new earth. And we will live on this earth for eternity. God will be with us in this city and we will live there in this new city of peace. But long before that moment, 
Heaven is already invading earth. It's invading earth through your life, through this community, and through the hope that we have in Jesus. Heaven invades earth. And we will all live together in the city of peace because the city of peace lives in us. So I want you to know this. This is powerful. This is important. This is, this is something that will fuel your life if you know that you are not a citizen just of this country or of any country, but you are a citizen of heaven. And the power of heaven is in you and works through you in every single situation. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus said when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Rulership. On earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer that we pray. God, bring your rulership to this city. Bring your rulership to this community. Bring your rulership to my life. And what happens when you experience the rulership of God? Peace, joy, hope, healing. All the things that all the humanistic philosophies could never give us, we find in a moment of salvation as heaven comes to earth. And so we have this hope, eternally, but daily as well. Amen? The city of peace, the rulership of Jesus. Let's stand together as we pray this morning.